Hello and welcome to TNT, the technology and things podcast. Your host, Paul Ferraro, is a former IT exec and currently a technology advisor. Jeff Kruger, a fellow technology enthusiast, is the co-host. They both spent many years working for a Fortune 500 company and are both passionate about leadership, technology and the community. I've been looking forward to this uh, podcast for quite some time. Emilio happens to be a, one of the most well-rounded folks uh, we, we work with, uh, similar to some of our other guests, which make good guests uh, on your podcast, uh, Paul, uh, good old TNT podcast. Having said that, there's a, a, a lot of things that make leaders unique in their approach uh, and their bedside manners, uh, and I think having that uh, well-rounded perspective allows folks like Emilio to lead more effectively. Uh, it's more of a, uh, not a do as I say, it's a do as I do. He's leading from the trenches, which makes a big difference, especially uh, from an organization like Evotech that partners with him, whether it's at his previous organization or, or Datadog now. Uh, he makes us feel a part of the team. So the guys that actually start working for him uh, oftentimes are extremely invested in the success of their project. Not to say we're not with other projects, but there's an element of you're really part of this fabric and DNA. So you end up, I think, getting a synergistic output, and I've seen it time and time again. So uh, with that being said, I think it makes a lot of sense to have Emilio on board to talk about his leadership style uh, and what he does when he unplugs. And right now, he probably can't do a lot of it. Um, and that's traveling and uh, going out to really nice uh, foodie spots uh, and then enjoying he, a cigar. I mean, he's mostly I, uh, just on that. He's mostly just on that Peloton right now, I think. So, you know, surprisingly, he, he is actually. When he gets off of it, he lets us know, like, this was a really good workout. We, we have a mutual friend that uh, we, we text back quite a bit. I think nice. it helps us pass the time with the pandemic and uh, yeah. the other individual who at some point I think we should have on the podcast, uh, they'll jump off their Peloton and share their workouts back and forth. And I'm just sitting there That's true. enjoying a cigar and a glass of wine. I'm going, guy, I don't really feel good about myself right now. <laughs> Go That's, for really it. Cute. That's really cute that they, uh, they share their workouts with each other. <laughs> you know, I'll take credit for putting the, the text together, but they're now talking more than, than I am with them at times. You know, actually, one of the things you were talking about, Amir, which I, I really, uh, I, I've definitely found over the last couple of years of being on, on kind of this side of the table from being on the customer side was you can get so much more out of uh, your team and your partners and everything if you kind of bring them into the, the fold like that, like you were, you were talking about, uh, and you, you treat them as sort of part of the team and, and you can just get so much more going, you know, than just sort of uh, if you keep it like that traditional kind of uh, uh, you're, the, you're the vendor here's the work, go do the work and then bring it back. It's, it's amazing. So I, I've definitely seen that. So that's cool to hear that Emilio uh, treats you that way, even after he knows who you are and everything. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Emilio, wow, uh, it's going to be one of those sessions today. <laughs> thank you for coming on our, our podcast, Emilio. That's uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's uh, great to have you on and uh, looking forward to the conversation and everything. And you can see like a, a mirrored will filibuster. So we definitely have to jump in there and, and uh, we have to, yeah. we have to get in there. So don't be shy. Yeah. Uh, Amir is from the DC area. So that's where, you know, it's, it's, that's where he knew he learned how to filibuster and everything. So uh, that's, that explains a lot. So Amir, maybe, 
maybe before before we uh, let Amir uh, go uh, on and on, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and 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 uh, kind of where uh, we know that that you're the the chief information security officer for Datadog today, but kind of what what did your um, your path to to today look like and share a little bit of that story with us. Sure, and, and first of all, thanks Paul and Amir for, for having me, super excited to, to be here. Um, yeah, so currently I, I serve at the CISO of Datadog. I, I, I joined four months ago. Um, prior to that, I, I was at Hulu uh, for, for quite a few years where, where I built and ran the security teams. Um, and, and then before that, I spent a, a few years at uh, PlayStation um, building and, and running the, the application security, product security programs and teams um, and some security consulting before that. I, I worked for, for a three-letter agency before that, um, mostly software development, a software security background, right? And, and sort of move up the ranks uh, through that and, and learning a lot uh, and still learning uh, to this day. Um, but my main background has always been on the software product delivery development side. I've looked at your LinkedIn a number of times and uh, I never kept clicking on the, you know, you, you click on like, show me more experiences. And then <laughs> I just went through and clicked on them all. I was like, holy crap, I didn't click. I didn't click enough last time. <laughs> you definitely have a, that's, that's a, that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, it's a, definitely a, um, a lot of different uh, types of companies and from government experience uh, to the M the M and E and everything. So, yeah, no, it's been a fun, uh, fun uh, journey. Uh, you know, each each vertical has their own caveats, right? So it's good to to see those different perspectives. And now at Datadog, right, where, where we have customers who are in the federal space, in the M and E space, and commercial and everything. So it's I think they've all sort of like summed up to help me sort of figure out um, how do we should do things here. Yeah, you're able to bring all those different experiences to bear when you're with these uh, different clients. I'm sure. Right. Paul, speaking of experiences uh, that you saw on LinkedIn, um, I think having been on the other side as a consultant for many years prior to jumping into the customer side, I think that also has a lot to do with uh, his ability to partner with organizations like us and, and, and make everyone feel extremely inclusive of the process. So that's, yeah. a, that's a good point as far as experiences uh, being well-rounded again. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely felt the pain of what it's like to be uh, a, a, an outsider, right? Um, especially in the government, it's really interesting um, because you can transition from a full-time employee to a contractor over a weekend, right? A, a lot of people go through that journey, myself included, um, but it is a different world when you're on the other side. Uh, the, you know, the moment you, your, your, your batch color changes, uh, even though you're still the same person working with the same people, the treatment completely changes, right? Um, you know, one, one interesting story was that when I first made the transition, the plans were for me to go back to the existing office and, and just work like a regular employee in that office. And, and the reason for the transition was that, um, you know, I think, this is many years ago, right? But the, the career path for, for a civilian was a little bit shunted. Uh, and my own manager basically made the recommendation of like, hey, I think you should make the, the change because I have very limited options for you uh, and, and for your growth. 
Um, and when he proposed the idea to his leadership for me to work in the same office, they all came back and said, no. <laughs> so, um, you know, I got hired as a contractor uh, by a private company. And then I spent a couple of weeks on the bench because the plans, the immediate plans failed. And, and I remember back then thinking like, am I still employed? Right. I'm getting a paycheck, but I'm on the bench. I'm literally just not doing anything, but watching TV until a, a, a project came up. So I understand what it's like to be seen as an outsider. And, and I think why I, I make sure that, you know, I treat everyone who we work with, you know, obviously there are legal implications to both, right? But um, how I treat everyone to feel included and, and that we're part of one team. Yeah, for sure. And I've seen it uh, firsthand. And it's not just our organization, uh, even with some of the other organizations that uh, we're working alongside within uh, uh, the previous org or in the future. Uh, he makes everyone feel like uh, a part of the team. Uh, with that being said, Emilio, you've obviously been dropped into a new environment, new gig. Congrats, by the way. Thank you. What What are What are the secrets to success when you dro get dropped in or helicoptered into an existing program? What are you mindful of? H how do you come in and tell everybody, "Look, I'm here to partner with you. I I'm not your quote unquote boss." What are a few things that you walk through in your mind before you approach a new team or a new environment? Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't want to claim that it's a secret, right? Because I think uh, everyone has a different approach and, and I don't think there's a magic formula to it. Um, I, I just like to listen a lot. I, I, you know, one of the things that for good or bad that I do is that I challenge decisions with questions. Um, I like to ask why a lot, but not, not why as in like criticizing the, the reasons or, or the decisions. Um, it's just, I, I, I like to get to the point where we're talking about the decision-making process and how we thought about things and we got to the decision of where we are today. Obviously there are constraints that lead to decisions. Um, and, and so I don't judge decisions, right? Cause hindsight is always 2020 and it's easier to be, you know, five years after a decision is made and, and, and jump in and be like, well, that was stupid. Um, so I'm not, I don't like to be hindsight biased, but um, it's just listening a lot, asking questions, um, understanding also what it means to be them, right? In the organization, I think is critical, right? Um, it's very easy for, for security teams or security leaders to join an organization and think, hey, security is, is the number one thing and how come you're not thinking about it? Um, but B, you know, we're equally pressured for talent, people, time, um, deliverables just like every other team is right so um for us to sit here and think that everyone should just drop what they're doing and listen to us is it's 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 not ideal uh, so it, it's just a lot of that right um and i'm still learning right it's only been four months the organization is quite large and and our product portfolio is quite significant um so a is understand that you're not the smartest person in the room and and that you shouldn't be um, appreciate that you're joining a, an environment where you're the most ignorant and you need to leverage the most informed and be comfortable with that. Uh, and, and be vulnerable, uh, be comfortable being vulnerable, right? Like you have no idea, no context. Uh, so there are people are there to give it to you. And if you, I think, approach your conversation with that angle, people will be willing to talk to you, right? Uh, now, if you join and start making opinions about things that are not true, um, then I think that's where a lot of the conversations break down. 
For sure. Yeah, I think if you if you come in and you're making all kinds of assumptions and saying you, you can definitely turn a lot of people off very quickly, you know, so I, I love that you started off with saying you listen, which, you know, when we talk to great leaders, I, I think listening is always like the number one thing, which is which is great. And I think empathy, you talked about empathy and understanding what people are, you know, what what it's like to be in their shoes and, and really getting informed and and understanding what the business is trying to do and everything, which is, uh, which is great. It makes a lot of sense. And, and we've all seen people come in and make comments like, oh, I've done it this way in the past and you should be doing it this way. Why are we doing this? And with that approach, you're immediately shutting your team off. Yeah. They're going into defense mode. That's a really good point. That's, that's why exciting and challenging at, at the same time about working in technology, you know, security, IT, uh, whatever the world is, is that there isn't a one size fits all, right? So even a deployment of, let's say a corporate application, right? Where, where if you're, you know, going back to being a consultant, you've done it 30 times in, in other organizations, I bet you they don't all look the same, right? There, there's always a, a people aspect to an organization and the success of it. And, and you know, you hire different people and, and there's always that variable that you have to consider. So, um, you know, I, I, I like using lessons learned of past experiences, but then trying to put it in the context of the present, not using the past lessons learned with, as a, this is how things should be done, right? Because you're, you're trying to fit a, a, a you know, a square peg in a round hole. How are you keeping the teams operating together given everyone's working remote? That's, it's tough. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think the larger the teams get, uh, the, the tougher it becomes. Um, one of the cool things that, that we do is that uh, we're really transparent about our OKRs, right? So every team has their quarterly OKRs, objective key results. Uh, we share them via Google Docs. We all, every single team puts them in a Google Drive so anyone in the company can peruse uh, through them and, and, you know, make comments, ask questions and what have you. So that's one way, but that requires you to know where the documents are and, and for you to take time of your day to go read them, uh, which not everyone does. Yeah, one of the things I like to do is, you know, quarterly all hands, um, you know, round tables with team members. Um, you know, Slack has been... Or, or that collaboration platform has been essential during these remote days because you can create then team channels, right? Where people can just talk about anything uh, and then you create more official channels for, you know, emergencies and what have you uh, and letting conversation just naturally flowing, right? I, I, I hate restricting what teams can say to each other um, All right. and then just, just keeping it business I think builds more silos. So, I, you know, one of the changes that I recently made at Datadog is that we had a channel for, for the org and it was specifically called out for like official announcements only, right? And I converted that and say, we can just talk about whatever. Um, and, and, and there's some operational implications to it, right? Because now how do you communicate official announcements and emergencies, right? So we have to, to think about that. Um, but now, you know, the team members are posting articles about things and just asking questions about like product, software, or, or, or what have you, um, versus the channel used to be quiet for 99% of the time. <laughs> I think, yeah, pe people want to collaborate and communicate with each other. People are sort of, we naturally want to, you know, uh, be together. And so if you have those kind of channels, I think I've heard of uh, folks uh, doing 
you know, I've got one friend that does a virtual water cooler every single day at eight o'clock. It's not mandatory. It's like a little meeting where they can, people can join in and just kind of BS. And he's like, it's amazing. Some days, like there's tons of people on there and it's, you know, some people just telling some stories or whatever, but like, it's kind of gives them that, that ability to uh, connect uh, that, that, they, that they're missing you know, and uh, so I think different ways of doing that with town halls or, you know, whatever ways I think are are super helpful right now, since we're all kind of yeah. sitting here with our with our dog. I've got my dogs over here <laughs> doing, you know, they're not very helpful. I want right to do what those guys are doing right now. <laughs> yeah, those dogs are smart. They're they're taking a nap right now. I wish I could be doing yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah better than barking at me. Yeah, I think the one thing, you know, I've seen a lot of people do like, you know, virtual happy hours and virtual water cooler sessions and all that. And I think the intent of them are, are really positive. But I think one, you know, one thing that we have to be conscious of is that people are suffering from like Zoom fatigue, right? So creating yeah. another Zoom for people to join. I think, I think it's sort of like having a pool in your backyard, right? Where initially a lot of people use it and, and, and go and then eventually you start seeing like, you know, engagement and traction sort of dwindling down um, because the more Zoom fatigue people get, the less Zoom meetings they want to join. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think being conscious of that and providing different ways of how people can communicate with each other, uh, I think is key. Um, it just, you know, it's a new world, right? So I don't think any of us have really can think of a way that just works, right? And we have to, the key is to be nimble and adjust to to what the teams are asking, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that to your, to your point, the, the whole idea of that nimbleness and, and flexibility, because, yeah, some I've seen some people, too, they're like they're they're sort of forcing people to have the video on. And, uh, you know, I've read some great articles about, you know, you, you got to not force people on that, like let it be more natural, you know, because they are, you know, kind of ha they have that fatigue, you know, so it's sort of like you know, making things mandatory or saying you got to be on the video. It's, it's just, um, you know, I don't think that helps, you know? So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I personally like, example, prefer like, the drive by. <laughs> yeah. Me he knows like what that. I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> the drive -by. You show up, you say, what's up. You might leave a few treats on the ground. The other person <laughs> exchanges a few treats with you. You go with home with something you didn't have before. Then that text string starts firing up again and everyone's saying cheers or what time are we lighting up? And that's the better way to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah does that yeah, sound familiar? I, I, yes, it does. Actually, I use Amir as an example a lot as, as somebody who's a, who's a... Oh, no. Oh, no. Here we go. A complete extrovert and, and sort of like what a needs for an extrovert are in, in, a, in this world that we're living now. And then I have, you know, people on my teams and, and I'm sure we all do who are introverts, right? And we have to be sort of conscious of and aware of that uh, as well. But what, one thing for us is like a, a big part of my team is in New York City, right? Um, and most likely they have a very small apartment that they're using now to work from home. So a lot of times I'm, I'm on camera with either a direct report or, or a team member and you see, you know, their, their partner walking around or, you know, doing laundry. And, and so, you know, if you're not comfortable with that on camera, then be okay with them having the camera off, right? Like yeah. there, there's a lot more happening in people's homes right now than work. Um, 
and you have to be you have to be aware of it. Yes, I, I've read the similar articles, and and I I've even gotten comments for from a few external people when I meet with them of like, oh, thank you for turning the camera on. Actually, that's something that I'm gonna start using more often now, which is recognizing when people feel that level of comfort. Um, and, and also recognizing that right now people are just getting tired of, of, you know, seeing the same four walls all day. Every yeah. Day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Amelia, thank you for turning your camera on with us today. That's, that's really, you're welcome. Thank really you nice both. You. Uh, Amir, you can, you can turn yours off, Amir, but, um, but, uh, yeah, no, thank you for, for having yours on. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's just something that I, I, I heard it a couple of times and, and, and started thinking about that statement, right? This is where we are now as, as, as a working society, right? Where, where you have to recognize people wanting to be visible. Yeah. Whereas before yeah. in a face-to-face -face meeting, it's like, well, that's what face-to-face -face meetings are all about, right? You get to see people. Um, it's, it's crazy how people are, are adjusting. Obviously, cybersecurity is top of mind in the news and, and conversations. Uh, Amelia and I had a very long chat I think it was on a Saturday I was driving back from Mammoth and he was bored. So he took my phone call and we started talking about some of the supply chain attacks and what he anticipates is going to be the future. Uh, obviously being someone who is at the highest level of an organization responsible for cybersecurity, what are some of the topics that are top of mind? And I think it's timely uh, because we've got our security summit that's happening this Friday I know certain components of this topic will surface, but I want to take a moment and poll what Emilio thinks is going to be top of mind uh, related to the current events. Yeah, it's, it's a, I think we, in my opinion, uh, regarding the, the, the recent news, um, there's still a whole lot more that needs to be explored and, and understood. Uh, naturally, you know, the authorities and everyone else who's, who I'm sure is involved are, are working through that process. Um, so a couple of things, I, I, I think it's an industry problem, right? I don't think it's a, a per particular individual company problem, right? Uh, we've relied on software delivery, right? Uh, obviously we're, we're a product company as well. Um, but I don't like using the word standards because I think cyber information security has many of them, but there isn't really a, a, a magic to, or, or a solution that you can just think of and, and this problem is solved for you, right? Um, the beauty of DevOps is that it creates that freedom of decision, um, but also the, the plethora of solutions that are out there that can work for your environment and culture, but it also creates these, these, this, this risk, right? Um, so I think we're going to hear and learn more about the specifics of the attack. And in fact, I think FireEye just released a new blog post uh, a couple of days ago with more details. Uh, kudos to them and the team. Um, where I think it's, it's going to happen is, is I think enterprises have to really think about what supply chain actually means for them, right? So, it, you know, a lot of the conversations that I've had with other CISOs, the worry immediately goes into third-party vendor risk and what their supply chain is. But then if you're a product company, you should also be thinking about what your supply chain is and the product that you're building, right? Um, and, and, and in this technology world that we live in, you only have control of the code that you write. Um, but then if you're like us and many companies where you're relying on libraries and, and open source projects to, to build a bigger and better product, 
there is a chain of dependencies associated with it that is, is, is really scary when you think about it, right? So how are you considering everything that you're building, anything that touches your infrastructure, anything that your customers are delivered with, uh, and, and who has actually had, has had hands in it? It's, it's quite drastic and massive. So I think this is why I say it's an industry problem because it's going to require a lot of engineering process and policy work to, to get ahead of it. I'm really glad and excited to see what uh, the new administration is, is doing with cybersecurity, right? And uh, who, uh, who I had the privilege of meeting once. Uh, she was running the cyber command at the NSA. I, I think this is going to be critical for the government uh, to really get ahead of, um, you know, the government spends billions, and if not trillions of dollars in offense, but they spend very little in defense, right? So, um, I'm really excited to see that pivot happening in the government. And I'm excited to see how commercial companies are going to look at this and think more about internally what their supply and act chain actually is versus their third party dependency and their supply chain. All right, that's something to be considered as well. But I think if you're writing products and pushing products out the door or you're taking products in, there's way more to it than just um, the typical third party risk mindset that we have right now. Good perspective. More money is spent on offense than defense. Yeah, I was oh, yeah. actually reading uh, reading uh, Fried Zakaria's new book, and it, it, it's like a lessons for the post pandemic world. I think is the name of it. And he was talking about the similar thing with kind of the, the military, and you know we have all this money we're spending on sort of tr traditional uh, military defense and offense, but like a, a little tiny virus is totally completely changed our whole society and we're just like you know trying to figure out you know to get some ppe for people or we can't distribute a vaccine very quickly or you know we just don't have the capabilities we're spending money in things that were that are not really the issue you know the same issue that they used to be right. so it seems like a similar yeah. problem in the security space right there's all these things you spend money on that are the traditional things that are the defense uh, in the security space, but you get hit by something that comes out the side where you, you weren't, you know, maybe you had some, some amount of resources on it, but it's now become a much bigger problem. Absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, the question I always like to ask when, when one of these big events happened, I think Zoom was a topic of conversation a couple uh, last year when we had a couple <laughs> yeah. of disclosures is, how many of our third-party security risk programs actually caught that problem? None, right? Um, right. And, and, and I'm not saying that third-party risk programs don't add value. I think they do add value. I just think they just establish a proper baseline. I think it's our jobs as defenders to think of every third-party vendor or integration as another piece of the puzzle, and we have to think defensively in layers, right? So... Um, you know, if you rely on an EDR product to do EDR internally, what happens when that EDR product is compromised? How do you, how do you determine that? How do you detect it? And, yeah. and I hope that we turn this into an industry problem where we don't get into competitors keeping things away from, for competition and we work collectively. This is I, idealist in me that we work yeah. collectively solving this problem, right? Like, the magic should be in, in how your product behaves and acts and works and how easy it is to integrate, install, maintain, and what have you. Um, 
But if the magic shouldn't be in you being able to keep your customers more secure than your competitors, right? Because I just think that's a little bit, um, that, that it would be very naive for us to think that way. And, and uh, I hope the industry can come together and work on this, right? Um, yeah. Well, it, it would seem like it would be a hard problem to tackle if everybody's sort of uh, doing it, you know, they're on their own and, you know, we'll have, we'll have a, uh, uh, limited success with with that approach it seemed like you know i i was watching uh this this presentation given by uh kelly shortridge from uh, capsulate and and she very well articulates the fact that attackers see their targets as systems and us as defenders still think uh, see look at things as components right uh we have our infra component we have our application software layer component we have our people component insider risk component, uh, email security component, you, you whatever. Um, we need to shift our views and mindset and look at things as, as systems, right? Um, where, where, you know, I, again, going back to my background as a software engineer, I, I, I like to look at everything in a business as an API that talks to other APIs, right? So HR is a team that exposes a bunch of APIs that we, we can uh, subscribe to and security has an API with HR that they can subscribe to as well, right? So um, this, I wish we would look at organizations as systems more to match how attackers see it, right? Um, threat actors, they don't go for the hardest problem to try to solve. They just find the weakest link in that system and go after it, right? Um, right. And, and there we are thinking about what's, you know, what quantum encryption is going to do for our security program, right? Um, and, and which is, it's, it's, yeah, it's insane. Uh, so I hope that as defenders, we shift. Uh, I think Kelly is on point by calling it out. Um, and the only way we can do that is if we're actually part of that system and we have conversations with components of that system uh, and become part of it, right? Not sort of CEOs as a separate entity or component and then just treat things as individuals. What I've noticed about the community that at least Emilio and his peers and some of our other folks that we've partnered with slash customers, they're extremely active in the community and they're sharing knowledge, information, uh, and they come from a humble approach of, I don't know everything. And I think it, that is what gives them the killer instinct and the edge by approaching problem statements from that angle. Uh, I'm not going to mention any of the communities that he's a part of unless he wants to bring it up himself, but Emilio's always doing these types of discussions, whether it's a podcast, uh, whether it's a CISO forum. Uh, obviously, he's participated with Macy Dennis and his group uh, in, in certain situations, but I think your involvement in the community is what makes your program and other programs, and you've introduced me to a lot of folks along the way, uh, which makes it special. So how do you approach that? Because we have worked with security leaders that are very, uh, what's the right word, uh, closed off from participating in some of those communities. And you can tell when you engage in a conversation with them and when our team gets engaged with, the, with them, you can tell that they haven't talked to some of the folks in their industry that are doing a lot of the same things. They're, they are reinventing the wheel and uh, they're keeping uh, their cards close to their chest. So what's your approach when it comes to cybersecurity in the community? Because you're very open to it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think this is something that I, I, I always critique myself because I think I can do more. Um, I've had a blog post 
in draft mode for, for months and months and I haven't uh, finished it. Um, I, I, I go through like muse moments when it comes to like blogging and what have you, where sometimes I feel really inspired and then the moment goes away um, very quickly. But, you know, the way I look at it is, is um, listen, like if security problems had a, a, a very well-defined solution, I don't think we would be here, right? Um, this wouldn't be a topic of conversation. It just would have been sold 20 years ago uh, and we would have moved on. But we have the latest and greatest technology and most companies still fail from having a proper asset management, right? Which is like one of the most simple, simple in the fact as table stakes type of things that you should have. And it's very difficult, right, uh, to do so. Um, and, and so the way I see it is that this is a collective problem that we're all trying to solve the best that we can in a way that works with our organization, people and, 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 and trajectory and direction. I don't think there is a magic recipe for how to solve it that we shouldn't be able to talk to other, others about it, right? Uh, when I was at Hulu, you're at, you know, we, we, I had very recurring uh, conversations with, with team security team members at Netflix, right, with their leader um, and, and others in the media industry because the way we see it is what's hitting us is most likely hitting you or will hit you, uh, hit you and vice versa. Um, and, and, and now at Datadog, same thing, right? We're, we're talking to, to a few CISOs of commercial companies, even media companies, right? Um, because we're, we're just trying to do the best that we can, right? Again, these problems haven't been figured out because there's so many variables that go into them. Yeah, it's incredible when you guys come together and start chatting about it. And I, and I see uh, the particular individual, I think you're referring to Jason. I see some of his posts. I'm linked in to him through you. And I'll just, uh, I'll read some of the stuff that he puts up and I'll, I'm learning on the fly. It's like, oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. Um, yep. Yeah, it, it's, yeah we- it's extremely interesting what's happening. Go for it. No, yeah, every person brings sort of like their own flavor to it, right? So, uh, you know... I see it as a big family cookout where we're, we're you know, um, you know, you, your aunt makes the best, you know, macaroni salad and somebody makes a better fried chicken and what have you. It's, it's, um, but if, if you try to do it on, on your own, then you're going to have very bland chicken and, and, and nasty looking potato salad and what have you. So, um, I, I don't get the, the keeping it to yourself. I'm sure they have the reasons, right? Uh, there is a concern about sharing a little too much, um, I think we can talk about problems without specifics and, and I think learning the line, the difference between those and, and what do you draw the line is, is, is uh, really crucial for us as, as defenders and practitioners. Um, we're, but also to your point, like we don't, if, if I renew the answer to how to solve asset management, I will probably be calling you from some remote <laughs> island on, on, on my ties right now and um, making a lot of money. And, and, and vintage cigars, switching subjects. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, give me a call if you, if you figure that out on the asset management. Don't call me. No, 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 no. <laughs> call me first, Paul. I promise I'll hook yeah. you in. I promise. <laughs> so listen, when you're not doing all of this, which is extremely important, and we are fortunate enough where we get to do a lot of this together, uh, what are you doing to wind down? I have an idea, but I'd like for uh, the listeners to understand what, relaxing and downtime looks like for, uh, for you? I, I, I sort of divide my non-work time in, in, in two categories. 
activities that are mentally rewarding, right? So I like to read a lot. Um, I like to, you know, mere noses of me, like uh, cigars and wine are, are um, you know, a pastime of mine. Uh, I'm not as no nearly as knowledgeable as Amir is in these two categories, but what I like about them is that similar to security and technology, we all have our own flavor to it. Um, and, you know, what was a good wine to you is not a good wine to me and, and so forth. And the other aspect of where I spend my time is doing activities that are the least mentally rewarding, like playing games, right, and what have you, because I think they just disconnect me uh, and allow sort of like that analytical part of my brain to sort of like run on its own while I'm focusing on something else and then and, and come back to it. Um, so that's what I like to do. I, I enjoy understanding that people actually have a life outside of work and I enjoy connecting that way with them too, right? And, and, and finding commonalities there. Um, it's just, you know, in this world, you have to do it over Zoom or, or just talk about it. But uh, I would say wine, cigar, reading and, and pretending to be good at games, which I, I am, I, my son can tell you that I'm not. I think you left one piece out and I'll, I'll insert it in for you. It's uh, riding that bike behind you quite a bit too. You know, we talked a little <laughs> bit about that, but uh, before the pandemic, uh, I'd say, Hey, what are you doing? Or before you come to dinner, before we hang out and he always take the time to uh, burn off some steam and some calories so that he could consume them an hour later with me. So that, that's an important part too, right? Exercise and, and making sure your yes. mind is clear. Uh, yeah, I, last I, I thing, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. La last thing I will say, uh, w one thing that you've done exceptionally well is outside of work or even at work, uh, but what I generally saw it outside of work, uh, it didn't matter what title uh, an individual was you were inclusive of the entire team. I'm not going to mention any names, but when we first started working together and then we started getting out social and uh, you'd bring certain people along and my knee-jerk reaction was to think that they were directors or VPs or so on and so forth. Um, but it turned out it was uh, an aspiring cybersecurity professional in the knock. So there was a level of humility to your leadership, and I think uh, you haven't lost that, and I think it's extremely important for all of us to take a page out of that book. Uh, and so uh, kudos to you, sir, and I appreciate you being on the podcast, and this won't be the last time. Uh, hopefully the next time we do it, we're going to be in the Evotech van with Paul at the helm doing his thing. So thanks for being on. Really appreciate it. Paul, I don't know if you want to say anything. No, that's that's great, great wrap up there, Amir. You're really getting the hang of this thing, which is uh, which is great. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> becoming a, he's becoming a professional slowly. No, um, I appreciate the kind words and and uh, and really, um, I, I really thank the two of you for having me uh, be a part of the podcast. Uh, really, a huge fan of it. So, um, no, this this was fun. Thank you. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate uh, appreciate it very much, Emilio, and uh, look forward to like like Amir said, having you on again and. And uh, we'll, def we'll definitely do a tour in the in the mobile uh, the mobile uh, armored vehicle that we've got. So it'll be fun. Sounds good. You got to put cool. a fancy horn on it though to make sure uh. people know you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great day, gentlemen. All Thank right. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks a lot. Bye.